Who certifies you? Who certifies the certifier? So we're actually accredited by multiple jurisdictions, California being one of the biggest. And this comes from having the minimum qualifications of our personnel and being on a very strict review of what we do. Welcome to the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast, the show where you learn how to plan, build, and live the tiny lifestyle. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and this is episode 162 with Alex Artiveros. Certification of tiny homes has been a tricky topic for years now. I've been skeptical of many of the certifiers because I haven't always seen the benefit. Last week's conversation with Jennifer Lavini, episode 161, only increased that skepticism. But this week, I'm happy to bring you my conversation with Alex Ontiveros from Pacific West Tiny Homes. Pacific West has been in the certification business for a long time, and in this conversation, we'll see if Alex can convince me whether tiny house certification is worth it. I hope you stick around. I want to start out with a different kind of listener shout out. There was a great conversation in the Tiny Living North Carolina group on Facebook. Uh, a poster named Mary said, another epic episode on the only tiny house podcast that is reputable. Not that you want any competition, but I'm always wondering why there isn't any current tiny house podcasts. And I responded to Mary, that is so kind of you. I'm not sure, but podcasting is a lot of work. There have been a lot of shows to start with an episode or two, but not carry it through. And I just wanted to expand on that a little bit because podcasting is a lot of work. I spend many hours each week researching guests, writing questions, having the interviews, producing the episodes, all the show art, posting it on social media channels, all of that is a ton of work. And, you know, the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast is and always will be free. But there are a few ways that you can support me if you enjoy the show. I would say the most direct way that you can support me is to head over to thetinyhouse.net and pick up a copy of my resource, Tiny House Decisions. If you are really serious about tiny house living and you want support from me and a small group of dedicated tiny house peers, you can check out my online community. It's called Tiny House Engage. Tiny House Engage members actually get to listen as I record these podcast interviews live. So they really get a back seat or a backstage pass to the podcast. But I just wanted to say thank you because I see your comments and I really appreciate the compliments about the show. It always helps to hear from listeners and I just, yeah, just thank you. It's been over three years now that I've been doing the show and I have no intention of stopping. But again, if you are interested in helping to support me in putting this show out, I encourage you to check out Tiny House Decisions. That's at thetinyhouse.net slash THD. Or you can learn more about Tiny House Engage, my online community, where you can get support from your peers. That's thetinyhouse.net slash engage. And a rating or review in Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen is always appreciated. Well, that's all for this different kind of listener shout out. Uh, I hope that you continue listening every week. All right, let's get on with the show. I am here with Alex Ontiveros of Pacific West Tiny Homes. Uh, Pacific West has extensive experience in the analysis, 
and design of many different structural, mechanical, and electrical systems and works closely with its clients. The professional staff can provide superior technical resources in order to meet the client's needs. Pacific West also believes that close and constant communication is critical to the success of any project. Alex Ontiveros, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been a while. Yeah, it has been a while. Um, so I just, I was hoping we could start off just by having you explain, you know, what, what does Pacific West Tiny Homes, what do they do? And, you know, if you need to kind of answer it twice and talk about what you do for DIY builders versus what you do for, you know, professional builders, or maybe, maybe they're both the same. Yeah. Yeah. So essentially the process is the same. We have, let's see, we started working with tiny home builders back in 2016, officially under tiny uh, Pacific West Tiny Homes. What we provide for people is RV certification or park model certification, depending on what their needs are, especially now with some jurisdictions wanting one over the other. Uh, we've been certifying traditional RVs for about 40 years, and we decided that the, that process is probably the best adapted until we have an actual code for tiny homes. Mm -hmm. As far as what we do for DIYs, we are able to guide a DIY builder from their design process all the way through finalizing their build. And we have a couple different ways that we can do this. Uh, usually, we review their plans in the beginning. We will send them either, see, they will get access to all of the codes. Mm -hmm. And then we will keep track of their progress either through Dropbox, which was our, our old way of doing things, or mm -hmm. now through Builder Trend which is construction management software. It okay. lets us see what our customers are doing. And that also gives us the control of seeing, you know, uh, this person finished their framing. Okay, let's do an inspection. Let's see what they have done. Pictures, video, and a very comprehensive handbook that we developed over the last few years. And as they go through that process for all of their systems, that's what allows us to certify them in that capacity. Okay. What we do for our manufacturers is we still use the tool of builder trend that we have, but they go through a more rigorous process of we will go out to certify them. We will go out and consult with them to develop a quality assurance process. And then we're required to go in and check on their production on a quarterly basis. Okay. When those checks are done, and as long as they're building to the process that they told us they will build to, then their builds will get a label that shows um, that the unit complies to either the RV code or the recreational park model code. Okay. Okay. And does it, would a DIY builder also get that kind of, is it a stamp? Is it a piece of paper? Yep. So it's an insignia that goes next to the house. It's the exact same kind that a manufacturer would. And that tells the insurance company or the financier or the municipality that the unit complies to those codes and that it has been inspected as required. Okay. Okay. And so, and you've, you've started to touch on the RV park model uh, code, which I think is the ANSI A119.5 mm -hmm. versus the RV, which is the NFPA 1192. Correct. Can you, explain like the differences between those and when you would use one versus the other? Absolutely. So the biggest difference on those will be the size and the requirements for structural verifications. 
on the RV code, there is no structural requirements. They are limited to 320 square feet and to 50 amp electrical service. Uh-huh. Any unit, oh, well, I'm sorry, I'm going back a little bit. Those units are also limited to eight and a half bit feet in width okay. and to 13 and a half feet in height. Okay, so you're like standard tiny house on wheels. Those those numbers that you're telling me, those those sound familiar. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that, that's the standard before they start they need to get uh permits for movement. Okay. So once they exceed those, that's when we go to the ANSI code, which will allow them to go over size, over height, and instead of limiting them to 50 amp electrical service, they can go to 100. Got it. Okay. And we will do this on request. Right now, we have seen a lot more demand for the park model code in California because that's what jurisdictions have been approving and requesting from our builder. Okay. So even if they're building something smaller, they still want that that ANSI code? Yeah, there's ways to adapt even the smaller builds to that code. Got it. Are there differences, you know, in terms of egress windows, fire safety between the codes? Like, are there different standards or are they pretty similar? So between those codes, it's actually very similar. Uh They still have to have a fire extinguisher. Their egresses still have to be 24 wide by 17 tall. And these units are considered self-rescue. So that's why you will see windows that are smaller than what a residential home needs. Okay. Interesting. Self-rescue. Yeah. Because I know that, that for residential code, an egress window... When I was working on my tiny house, there was just no way I could get a, a residential size egress window in the loft. It would actually be taller than the loft. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That, that's one of the biggest issues. And it, uh, that one is based more on uh, on the square inches okay. and obviously the height and width requirements. Yep, but yep. for this one, it's uh, pretty cut and dry. It has to be no less than 24 wide by no less than 17 tall. Okay. And that's... So that's considered big enough to crawl out of. Correct. Yeah, got it, got it. What what other um what are some other highlights of these codes in terms of safety or what are you seeing a different way of asking the question is, you know, what do you see in uncertified tiny house builds that kind of run up against what's in the codes? The biggest thing will be the egress window. Okay. For people that don't go with any certification, they think, you know, especially in a loft, the windows are too small. Right. So, while technically you could get out of one of those in a fire, you know, there, there there's reasons why we arrived at the 24 by 17, uh, which is actually someone went around RB park ground, campground, sorry, and they put an ellipse around people to come up with that number. Wow. Granted, this was in the 60s. I think uh, body shapes have changed in that in the meantime. And yes, it should probably be a little bigger. Yeah. Yeah. And 20, 24 wide and 17 tall. That's kind of a funny shaped window. It is. Yeah. 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 Do I guess you can order a custom, you know, any custom size window. And then how does I'm guessing that it has to open. It has to either be a case. It has to be a casement window, right? Or, or casement window, we do we actually do see it on sliders okay. and single hung windows. Okay, it's uh, the sliders just have to be usually what we see on those is the vinyl that separates the window, the operating window from the fixed window, takes a little bit of space. So people end up with a window that is twenty 
I'm sorry, that it's a five foot window by 20 tall. Right. Okay. And, and it looks great. It lets, it lets in a lot of light, but it is a huge window up there. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm curious um, how, if at all, this work and these, you know, ANSI and NFPA, how do these intersect with, you know, the, the Appendix Q effort? One of the things about the Appendix Q is being that it's in the residential code, it technically technically only applies to units that are being built to, well, to residences. Right. We do make a lot of provisions and inclusions in that for the RV code. The reality is that with some designs, it just does not work. Okay. Uh, loft heights are the biggest um, consideration on the Appendix Q. Okay. So, you know, depending on, on how the people, how the customers are building their first floor and how much room they have on a loft, they may not be able to comply. Got it. So, you know, we can try to adapt their designs to fit it. That the reality is that mm -hmm. I'm going to say about 30% do not. Mm -hmm. So do you offer designs as well? Like are there, you know, pre pre-approved ANSI or NFPA tiny home designs? So there's actually a couple of, of places that offer them. Okay. There's some models that we have already reviewed. Okay. On well, that our customers have sold to tinyhouseplans.com. Okay. And those are the sites that we have already reviewed for them on a manufacturing scale. Okay. But they already meet all of those requirements for the code. Got it. But then it then it it's on the builder to then build it to the code as well. Correct. Yes. Yeah. And then the certification, if they do decide that they want to go that route, we would rather get them in early just to make sure that, that they're following as they're supposed to. And so that we can address any issues that may come up during the process. Right. It's a lot, a lot easier to address an egress window that's the wrong size before you frame it in. Exactly. Yeah. The, the, I can tell you people are not happy when they have already built it and put the window in. And I tell them to rip it out. They're, yeah. they're not very happy with me when that happens. No, no, that's bad. Yeah. So who, cer who certifies you? Who certifies the certifier? <laughs> so we're actually accredited by multiple jurisdictions, California being one of the biggest. And that is for the type of work that we do. We're, we're, we're deputized by the state to do what we do. Mm -hmm. And this comes from having the minimum qualifications of our personnel and being on a very strict review of what we do. And just in between this, I do want to say Pacific West Tiny Homes, we are the, the tiny home inspection arm for Pacific West Associates. Pacific West Associates is the company that provides the certification and the one that is accredited by the states to perform the work. We just do the inspection services. Okay. So but you're... Everything is included. So. so are you separate companies or is it kind of like a, it's a part of one company? We're we're separate companies at this time. Okay. Okay. Got it. Um what is it what does it cost to get, you know, to work with you throughout like a DIY build? Let's see. For the DIY, the cost of the program is two thousand. Mm -hmm. And it is a flat cost. We don't have any hidden fees. We don't have any surprises. Uh -huh. We provide consultation guidance and all of our all of our reviews are already included in that price. Uh -huh. And we, we can also provide additional services. Pacific West Associates is a, an engineering firm. So we do have those services and those are priced as needed for the customer. Okay. 
And then working with manufacturers, that one is also a fixed price, but we work with the manufacturer as far as what we're going to charge for the specific circumstances that they have. Got it. Mainly because we're not going to treat a, a manufacturer that builds a few per year the same way that we would treat an RV manufacturer that makes 400 a month. Right, right. So I think I've, I think that certification is, a, is probably a good idea. I'm curious, you know, I think from a pro builder's perspective, I can see very clearly, you know, the argument of why you would want to do it. It probably makes it easier for your customers to get loans potentially easier to for them to find parking but as a DIY builder you know what what's what is your pitch to kind of say like why should i spend you know why should i spend an extra $2000 on my tiny home well usually we tell the customer you know the biggest reason why you should is because you would not trust a home that somebody built to you know if you didn't have a building inspector mm-hmm. would you live in it you know, it's all about the accountability. It's all right, about right. keeping people safe through that accountability. Got it. A lot of people have been coming to me now saying, you know, I live in the LA area and I want to put one in there, but they told me that it has to have a label on it. Like, right. okay, well, you know, do you have anybody else that's going to be working with you? Are you going to be doing all of the work yourself? What is your experience level? You know, and then I tell them, consider you're going to be putting either your family or somebody else's family in there. Yeah. No, let's get an extra layer of protection and an extra set of ice, making sure that everything is in order. Right. Right. So uh, this is actually a question coming in on the chat, which is a great question. What what happens if um, codes change during the life of the tiny home? We expect that a lot of them will be grandfathered in. Okay. Right now, the codes haven't changed since 1999. At that point, what we had was the NCA 119.2. Okay. And from that, it separated to the NCA 119.5 and then the NFPA 1192. So it's been about 21 years now that we have had no changes. Okay. Now, we are working on code that that is specific for tiny homes. Okay. And the idea and the... The biggest thing that we want is to be able to make sure that People that have built up to this point will have a minimal amount of changes that will have to be made to comply with the new codes. I think that's one of the biggest things that we're going to have to take into consideration as we keep going on the on the standards development process. Right. So is that a standard that's going to be through through ANSI, like a specific tiny home code? As of right now, that is the idea. And that has been one of the main focuses of the Tiny Home Industry Association. Yes. And what um, what's going to be different about that one? What's going to be different about the tiny home code versus, you know, ANSI A119.5? Well, one of the biggest complaints that we have on the, on the RV codes is that by definition, they say that these products are for temporary part-time seasonal occupation. Ah, That is the biggest thing that we want removed out of there. We want to mm-hmm. make sure that there's no limitation on how long people can live in there. But obviously, we're going to have to address some of the deficiencies on those codes, like the structural requirements, the uh, insulation requirements, quality of um, quality of living in these units compared to what it would be in an RV. Right. That is that's about the biggest reason why we need something new, and it's a code for a, a completely new product. I mean, yeah. 
RVs are generally expected to last somewhere around five years, where our builders, tiny home builders, are now building these units for 25 plus years. Right. I mean, you'd hope that because they're being built like traditional homes that they, they can last quite a bit longer than an RV. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how do um, SIPs builds fit in? Are they like easy to certify SIPs panels or, or is it something that is not usually used in, in the code? You know, they are uh, code, especially on a, on an RV certified unit. Uh-huh. It doesn't really come into play that much, okay? Because it, I mean, the, the the diversity of materials that's there for building is just incredible. SIPS units have the advantage that most uh, that it's already structural, right. so it will provide a much higher level of rigidity in some cases, depending on the construction. Of course, it just depends on the materials that you're using. Right. Okay. But we do have we do have a couple of customers that build with SIPS, and they say that. The advantages over traditional insulation and the advantages over traditional construction far exceed the cost of what would be a traditional structure with spray foam insulation and, and all the additional work. Okay. Okay. So it sounds like it's less about, I mean, obviously the, the, the home has to be structurally sound, but it sounds like it's more about the fire, egress, that kind of stuff. Yep, and we can still meet all of those codes even on a SIPS uh, okay. built home. So it's not. Um, I mean, that, I guess that's another thing about the code. They're flexible enough to where we can use those alternate materials right. for the construction. Right. If you're building a, a tiny house and you are using maybe a set of plans that you bought or something you designed, do they have to be stamped by? you know, an engineer in order to, you know, get the certification? Not in all jurisdictions. Okay. They do not. State of Washington does have a requirement that everything that gets sent to their labor and industries department has to have an engineering stamp for it. Okay. But most other places don't. Okay. So, so, but then as the certifier, you have to look at those plans and, and kind of you know, essentially look at them and say, yes, if you build it this way, it will be structurally sound. Correct. And we do have, like I said, um, because of our requirements for for our accreditation, we do have to keep engineers on staff and they uh-huh. will look at these plans and make sure that everything complies. And if not, you know, we'll we'll definitely let the customer know that that changes right. need to be made. Right. Okay. Okay. Um I feel like I'm getting into the weeds, but I'm just following this, these like various building materials. Um, one thing that, you know, people in tiny houses have started to do is to use advanced framing. And so, you know, rather than framing 16 inches on center, they're doing, you know, 24 inches on center. And then there are some different requirements for, for headers and things. Um, have you seen, are you seeing builders using that and can, can that fit in with the code as well? That can fit in, and there's actually already provisions made in the ANSI code for that. Okay. Um, there's also provisions made for people that want to do metal framing rather than traditional wood framing. Okay. And it, it really just depends on on what the customer is looking yeah. for. Um, most of the time, what we look at is, is the product that they're using listed for the type of use that they want mm-hmm. to do. And this goes for your framing, for your insulation, for your... Appliances. Appliances is the biggest one. 
But mm-hmm. I mean, as long as it holds a, a proper listing that it can be used for building an RV, we have no problem with them using it. They just need to show that that it's going to be equivalent to or greater than traditional construction. Right. Yeah, that's actually, you just reminded me of something just that sometimes it's, well, it's not necessarily hard to find RV products, but sometimes the quality of the appliances is is lesser. And so we end up going with residential appliances. But, you know, I remember this is a long time ago when I was building my tiny house, I was looking at like a nice Renai uh, forced air, you know, propane for, you know, heater. And, you know, I called them and said like, Hey, I want to put this in my tiny house. And they're like, you can't, cause that's a movable structure. And these aren't, you know, this was, this is almost 10 years ago. Okay. But they basically said, it, you know, these are for not for moving houses. Like they're not certified for, for a movable home. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. See, it's funny that you mentioned the Renai. Now they do hold a, a listing okay. that says it's okay to put them in mobile homes. Okay. So Renai is actually one of the ones that we've been recommending the most. And I have a, a lot of my builders love them. I mean, yeah. they, it, it's, been a, it's been one of those products that are up there. And then you find some others that have very clear on the ins- installation instructions, not for use on an RV, mobile home, or boat. Right. And so if it says that, then you can't, you can't use it. We cannot approve those now. Right, right. Okay. Interesting. So one thing that um that I've I've heard from people um, you know, wanting or needing later on are like is like a record, you know, of their inspections, the photos, the videos. Um, do you keep the records, you know, for each tiny house from the manufacturer and, and DIY houses? So for the manufacturer, it is the manufacturer's responsibility to keep a permanent unit record. Okay. For a well, forever, pretty much. And part of that is the liability. You have to know who did what and when it was done for them to be, you know, protected. As far as our DIYs, yes, we do keep a permanent record for all of them. And we can make it available on demand for for the customer. And then right. if a jurisdiction needs to see it, you know, we have to get permission from our customer in, in writing for us to release that. Right. Right. And then I'm guessing the customer probably also has the opportunity to just download everything if they want to save it. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Dropbox makes it easy to do that. Going forward with our new program, we can actually, let's say the best example I have is let's say they build a home but the jurisdiction where they're going wants to see that the, the work was done properly. We can now give them access to the specific checks um, that they need for them to just go in and you know and verify that everything was done to the actual requirement. Got it. Um, so I know that that California is a very um, kind of hot place right now for ADUs. So are there yes. Pacific West? certified tiny houses on wheels that have been approved as ADUs in California? Well, here's the interesting thing. The the state of California, the, the city of LA mm-hmm. does not keep track. They, they don't make any, they don't have any um, different forms for a regular ADU and ADUs that are built on wheels. So as far as those numbers, we are not sure, especially because most of that goes through the manufacturer. 
Okay. But we do know that the city of LA has been recommending our certification to builders and to DIY. Okay. So we assume that there's been a few, but until they actually keep track of the of the numbers of um, tiny home ADUs and right. on foundation ADUs, I really unfortunately could not tell Got you. Got it. Yeah, because once we're talking about on foundation ADUs, then we're away from ANSI and NFPA and we're just into residential code. Correct. At that point, they would be under California building code. Right. And so they're the building inspector in whatever town that they live in is the is kind of that going to be the certifier. Exactly. Okay. Okay. Um, I'm curious, you know, I feel like I've been firing questions at you and I appreciate you. You're, you've got great answers and just, you're very knowledgeable. What, you know, what are some misconceptions or what are some things that you wish people would ask you that they don't ask you? Honestly, my wish is that they would ask me everything as they're building. Yeah. Of course, time, time constraints are going to make that difficult, but yeah. The biggest thing that I have with my builders is that I would much rather have them ask me a question, send me a text message, send an email. Every time they have a, a question, it's not something that bothers me. I mean, it's not. And I tell them up front, uh-huh. please, please, uh, there's no stupid questions. Right. Send it to me before you do something, because if you close that wall and I need you to change a line, you are going to change the line, but you're not going to like me very much. Right. So I, I guess another thing that I would wish is that we can make the, uh, the tiny home certification education a lot more, a lot more widespread. Uh-huh. What we've been trying to do is educate people and, and, you know, we've been in business to try to make sure that people are not hurting themselves or someone else while, while they're building. Right. So. I mean, that, yeah, the, the, the thing with me is I love it when people ask questions. It's when they don't that I start worrying about them. Okay. Are, are there any, you mentioned like people not getting hurt while they're building. Are there any standards, you know, in ANSI or NFPA about the actual build site and safety there in order to be certified? Not on the, not on the ANSI or NFPA. That's okay. completely up to OSHA and the locals. Okay. Okay. Um, so I, I would imagine with DIY builders, you're getting a, a, a wide range of skill levels, you know, how much actual building help can you provide? Like, you know, if, if somebody's like, you know, what's the proper way for me to, um, you know, attach this sheathing to, to my frame, like, are you getting, are you answering questions like that? Or do do you people need to kind of know how to build in order to work? with you well so there's a lot of people that already have some exposure to what they're doing usually when they don't they will they will hire the services of a contractor to get it done okay we do get those questions but then it also depends on the material that they're using not everybody builds with a two by four and then Mm -hmm. you get the people that want to build with a metal frame so while we can point them in the right direction and while we can point them in the in the requirements, it's really not something that we get very commonly. Right. Okay. Um, I want to um, move on to a couple other kind of building systems. And just I'm curious, um, 
what are there any ventilation requirements in in either of the codes? Because I know that you know as we're building these these little tight houses, uh, the need for for fresh air and ventilation becomes really really important. Yes, you know, and this actually has come up often, very often recently. There's a lot of people that do like the the Lumos systems and the uh-huh. air recirculation systems. There's no no actual written requirement to have them. I mean, it's uh-huh. really difficult to make a house hermetically sealed on it. Uh-huh. But um, we tell people that it's it's really up to the place where they're going to be, how much they're going to be occupying the house. It's not the same. We live in Wyoming. During the winter, you're not going to open the window. Right. You know, so you're going to have that system and it might be helpful. Or, you know, you're going to move into a different structure in the, in the, in the severe cold and just mm-hmm. have the home there. Mm-hmm. So um, it, it it really varies customer to customer whether they want to have one or not. Got it. Okay. Um, and then another system, just moving on to kind of water. Um, are there any, what are, what does the code say about managing water in a, in a tiny home, you know, about the plumbing, about maybe storing water, storing gray water, that kind of stuff? So the, the one of, this is one of the biggest misconceptions that you have to have gray and black water tanks. Uh-huh. You don't. Okay. There's a lot of people that will build that don't need to have them because, you know, they're going to go and they're going to park it somewhere and they already have access to the utility. So mm-hmm. why add an extra step? Sure. As far as the fresh water, it's always a good idea to have a, a tank of fresh water. But again, it's not by any means required. There's people that are just going to connect to the fresh water and get their supply from there. Right. And then when you start getting into rain catching systems and things like that, that's mostly depending on where they're going to live. Okay. There's places in California that will not allow it. There's places in Colorado that will not allow it. And then there's some others that you have to have it. So, right. Right. So it's not like it's, you're not going to run afoul of, of ANSI by harvesting rainwater off your roof. No, you, you might run afoul of the, of the locals. Right. But right. as far as the code, no, you will not. Got it. Got it. Um, and so then when it, you know, we've talked about ventilation, water, what about, um, you know, in terms of the electrical, like, do you have to have an electrician or can, you know, can a DIY builder do their own, uh, wiring? They can do their own wiring. However, there are testing requirements on the national electric code that 95% of people would have never heard about. Yeah. Uh, one of our tests is uh, an electrical withstand test, or it's also called a hypot test. They have to run a current through their entire system. Okay. And the machine to do that, this is not a test that is required in residential or commercial construction, but you do see it a lot on factory built housing and even in military applications. Okay. So the average customer, I really do not expect them to spend $1,500 to go buy a machine that they will use twice. Right. So at that point, they will have to bring in an electrician. They will do a once over on the system and make sure that everything's okay. Mm-hmm. Sign off on the work, perform the test. Got it. That gives us the assurance that if the test passed and they didn't see any major, major issues, things were done the way that they were supposed to be done. Okay. And are there any similar requirements in terms of plumbing? Like, is there a stage where you're probably going to need to have a plumber come in and and sign off on things? That one will really depend on the experience of the person doing the plumbing. Okay. 
getting access to a to a compressor is a lot easier than getting access to a high pot machine for the electrical. Okay. So generally the tests that you do on the on the plumbing are not going to get anyone killed. They're gonna get a bunch of stuff wet. Right. But the the electrical test is more involved. So we do allow them to perform the the work on the plumbing and even the testing if they feel like they're comfortable with it. Okay. And that's something we remind everyone of. Are you comfortable with what you're doing? If not, please get someone to double check your work and then mm-hmm. we'll triple check their work. Mm-hmm. You know, everything has to be signed off. And this is part of that permanent unit record that I mentioned earlier. Say uh, Mr. Jones goes and he does the plumbing, but he doesn't feel comfortable hooking up a compressor to it to, to pressurize the system. You know, and then call a, a call a plumber in. They will do it for you, and they will sign off on the paperwork. Got it. And we're perfectly fine with that. Very cool. I'm curious. You know, right now with the cost of building materials kind of skyrocketing, it's making building a tiny house or buying a tiny house quite a bit more expensive. Um, of course, it's also making buying any house new construction more expensive. But I'm I'm curious. What do you see? You know, where do you see the tiny house movement in in five years? Like, is it going to continue to explode, or what? What do you think? I I do think it will. Uh, I mean, seven years ago when we started looking at the tiny home movement, you know, it, it really wasn't as widespread as it is today, and everybody thought, oh, you know, it might pass and it might just be a thing of a couple of years. Mm-hmm. But looking at all of the issues that the tiny home industry can solve. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the the need for additional housing, the need for cheaper housing and the emergence of all of these jurisdictions wanting to use it as a solution. We really don't see it going away. Yeah. I mean, just for the and these are just statistics based on our business, but. The pandemic. It was a boon for for these types of industries, both the RV, the tiny home, and even the boat boating industry. Twenty twenty was probably the best year for a lot of our builders, and the reason for that is because everybody wanting to distance each other from each other. Right. It drove people to buy more tiny homes, buy right. more RVs. Right. Some of our customers are sold out until twenty twenty three now. So wow, wow. it's. Um, yeah, I don't think this is going away. And I think with the more widespread acceptance, especially in the bigger cities like LA and Fresno and mm-hmm. San Diego, mm-hmm. this just encourages other jurisdictions to be able to expand on it and, and start accepting it into their communities. Yeah. Do you have any any predictions for how the legalization will play out? Because it, it is so fragmented right now. You've got like the effort to have states pass, you know, approve the the latest version of of IRC so that Appendix Q is kind of incorporated, and then you've got cities like LA going the the RV certification route. Like, are we going to coalesce around one thing, or is it going to continue to be kind of piecemeal? I think that as soon as we have a code that is specific to movable tiny home, that will bring. Uh, a level of of national acceptance towards yeah. it. In the meantime, you know, everybody has a has their idea of how long you can live in an RV. Yeah. Like, 
you know, here in, in Wyoming, you can live in them. Uh, depending on the jurisdiction, they won't say anything or they will make you just like with the tiny homes, take it out of the park, go drive once around the block and bring it right back. Right. <laughs> but yeah, but because everybody has the, a different idea right now, I think it's going to be just, you know, they'll accept it in a couple jurisdictions and some others won't. But, you know, through the efforts of people like Dan Fitzpatrick, the Latch Collective, um, Mr. David Latimer, mm-hmm. You know, all of these people talking to jurisdictions, Lindsay Wood, mm-hmm. uh, Alexis Stevens and Christian Parsons. I mean, they've been all of these people. And these are just more the more prominent ones. I'm sure that there's people doing the same type of work all over the country. Right. But these are the people that I work with on a nearly daily basis. Wow. And I know what they're doing and I know that their efforts have not gone to waste. They're not in vain. They're, you know that type of work is what is needed for more places to to accept us as a as a form of housing uh-huh. but i really do think that as soon as we have a a code that is specific for this then it will just go nationwide a lot easier. yeah yeah that that makes sense uh just having something to advocate for that is specifically for this thing will will probably go a long way exactly And I mean, you can see all of these efforts through the Tiny Home Industry Association, which you do have to mention, I am a board member of that. These are the things that we're trying to bring into the communities. The acceptance of a code, any code at this point, while we work on the other one. And then, you know, promoting the work of people like Lindsay Wood, like Dan Fitzpatrick, Mm -hmm. Alexis Stevens. All of these people are working towards the same goal. Mm -hmm. You know, we want to make sure that on our side, on the actual building, uh, building code side, we can reinforce that work as much as possible. Nice. And a note to our listeners, we have we have had all of those people. Lindsay Wood's been on twice. Alexis and Christian have been on and Dan Fitzpatrick has been on. So we'll we'll list those uh, episode numbers in the show notes so people can listen to those conversations as well. Um. Alex Ontiveros, thank you so, so much. Uh, you're so generous with your knowledge and um, just great at answering these questions. So thank you so much. Not a problem at all. Thank you so much for having me. I guess we would like to encourage everyone, if they have questions, please write in to us. Please give us a call. My phone is of public mm-hmm. domain at this point. And <laughs> anything, like I said, I, I come from a background of, well, I come from many different backgrounds, but the one that I enjoy the most is education. So okay. anything that I can pass on to people and again, make sure that they, that they stay safe doing what they're doing and that they keep others safe. That's, yeah. that's what drew me into this industry. Okay. Um, anything I can do. Nice. And actually that I had one, one last question popped into my head. Is there like any kind of waiting list to start the certification process? Or if someone's like, hey, I'm starting my DIY build like in two weeks, can I, you know, I want to get on board? Not as of right now. We are, we are ready, willing and able to take anyone at this point. Okay, cool. Good. You know, well, you heard it from Alex himself. So anyone who's listening, uh, you know where to find him. We'll, we'll post a link. We're not going to put your phone number on the show notes, but we'll put a link to Pacific West in the show notes and people can, can find your information there. Absolutely. All right. Thanks so much, Alex. Not a problem. Thank you so much for having me. 
Thank you so much to Alex Ontiveros for being a guest on the show this week. You can find the show notes, including a full transcript from this episode and links to Pacific West at thetinyhouse.net slash 162. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash 162. Well, that's all for this week's show. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and I'll be back next week with another episode of the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast.